This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Runner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. With another campus mass shooting earlier this week, a legislative and public debate today on the Campus Self-Defense Act fostered heightened emotion from both sides. Will allowing the concealed carrying of firearms on campus add more protection or create more danger? Randy Yowie has our report. The House Judiciary Committee held a Wednesday morning one-hour public hearing on Senate Bill 10, commonly known as the Campus Carry Bill. It would allow college students, faculty, and staff to carry concealed weapons on all but a few restricted areas on college campuses. Each speaker got one minute. There were 37 people opposed to the bill, only two speaking for Campus Carry. Chris White, a Marshall University history professor and former Marine infantryman, said... The Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, must come with the safety controls that this bill does not offer. There are many months worth of training that military and police officers have to go through before they are able to earn that Second Amendment right and carry those weapons in public. Every single moment in which a weapon is in the hands of a soldier or a, or a police officer is controlled. None of those safety controls will be imposed on our students or anybody else who comes onto campus. Marshall University, WVU, the other universities have expressed that they are opposed to this bill, and I am not going to say that this is going to increase actual violence on campus. It might, but what I do know is it's going to increase accidental discharges. Speaking for the Campus Self-Defense Act, Art Tom said he represented the National Rifle Association. He said Michigan college students killed this week might be alive if campus carry was allowed. As most of you know, I live here. My college-age sons live here. My wife and my young stepdaughter live here. Our loved ones deserve the right to defend themselves from a deadly attack in a gun-free zone without having to make the choice of employment, education, or their life. As already referenced, there was a shooting just this week where a lunatic went on a college campus in Michigan, a place where it was illegal under statute to carry a firearm, and shot eight students, killing three of them. After the public hearing, Democrat lawmakers from the Morgantown area joined West Virginia University students and staff in solidarity against campus carry. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, boiled down much of the sentiment expressed in the public hearing. And those concerns included things like an increase in assaults and sexual assaults, um, how this would interact with mental health and suicide on campus, the possibility of accidental discharges, the drinking and drug use on campus, and how bringing guns into that equation might cause more harm than good. 
people also mentioned issues with recruitment and retention of faculty and staff and students. WVU faculty member Maria Perez said some students taught her to appreciate firearms used for hunting, but others expressed the fear of a high number of military veteran suicides by handgun having parallels to college students. This student told me um, after lecture, and I paraphrase from memory, exactly what you described happened to my uncle. His uncle was a lawful firearms owner. He had no mental illness antecedent. His dog had died, and then he got into a fight with his wife. Shortly after, he shot himself and died. And then the student told me, just like you described, the student continued, it was a moment of crisis. This, combined with the availability of a firearm, con creates conditions that results in the sudden and tragic end of a life. The lawmakers who support campus carry, like Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County, say the proposal simply extends the constitutional Second Amendment rights that all Americans enjoy to college campuses. You and I can carry a firearm, as is our right, in any portion of that facility that is not prohibited in. This just affords that same right and opportunity to the students and faculty. So you could have an 18-year-old person who hasn't matriculated at school legally carrying a firearm. You shouldn't have to surrender your firearms rights just because you become employed at the university or college or become matriculated and become a student. Marshall University, WVU, and other state universities have voiced their opposition to campus carry. The bill went to the House Judiciary Committee this afternoon for more debate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. From the Hope Scholarship to charter schools, West Virginia's educational landscape has changed quite a bit in the past few years. Often driven by favorable legislation, supporters of the school choice movement have more options now than ever before. Reporter Chris Scholl sits down with Delegate Kathy Hess-Krause and Senator Patricia Rucker to discuss. Thank you very much, Bob. I'm, I'm very sorry to say that um, Senator Patricia Rucker was unable to join us, but we are lucky to be joined uh, instead by Senator Roland Roberts. Um, to you, Senator, and to you, Delegate Kathy, uh, thank you both so much for being on the legislature today. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, for having us. us. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so uh, as Bob just said, you know, there's been a lot going on in the last couple of years around school choice. I mean. It, it, you can talk about the HOPE Scholarship, which there's been a lot of discussion about in the last year or so, uh, but we've also got charter schools for the first time in West Virginia. Um, and as someone uh, lucky enough to have a parochial school leader and a homeschooler in front of them, I'm just wondering, do you think that these schools and, and these educational options are being properly supported by the state right now? Um, Delegate, why don't we start with you? I think we can always do better. Um, I believe more people are looking for different ways to educate their children at this point in time. The pandemic opened up a lot of doors and uh, opened up a lot of eyes. And I think we need to continue to expand our educational opportunities in the state and the support of those that choose a different route. Excellent. So, Senator, you know, how can the legislature actually achieve that? 
Well, right now we're, we're kind of cutting our teeth a little bit and breaking the ice on yeah. the whole topic. And it's, it's kind of been foreign to people, especially the Department of Education. And so, especially with the establishment of the charter schools, this is the first year. Uh, there's been some legislation to try to help. We found out some, there were some needs. And so now trying to help the West Virginians start charter schools instead of other entities coming in from outside. We're trying to help with that. And then with the Hope Scholarship, trying to get all of that coordinated. Um, obviously with the, the lawsuit, it was slow go there for a while. And uh, then uh, things didn't really get going until the middle of the year, last month, actually, with the funds being released. And so we're still, we're still early on in the, uh, in the School Choice Committee in the Senate today. We, we passed Senate Bill 589, and uh, that has to do with the the uh, clarifying of the Hope Scholarship. There were some things that when we passed it, like much legislation, you kind of look at it a second time and then you realize, you know what, we probably didn't say that quite right and do that. And so there's a little bit of cleanup things with that and that was passed out of the committee today. So we're, we're uh, trying to get everything going in a right direction and then I'm sure there will be room for improvement as we move on. Yeah, just as uh, you and I were discussing just before the cameras came on that, um it's been interesting, you know, we haven't had the big swings that we've seen in recent years in this session, but there's been a lot of cleanup. There's been a lot of, you know, ticky-tacky kind of a uh, little bit here, a little bit there, changing a phrase. Um, one of the things I am curious about uh, as we see these bigger programs take off is, um, you know, I've been hearing this term, uh, education pods, these education groups. Is that something that, that either of your committees are looking at right now? The, are you speaking about the micro schools and the exactly. learning pods? Yes. So those are already passed and in law now. Um, and I, I'm thinking we may have one micro school at the moment. I'm, not I'm sure. thinking in the state. <laughs> it's just that um, micro. Yeah. So, that, and learning pods are something that's pretty basically been going on anyway in the homeschool community. Parents get together, they do a co op. You've got parents that teach different classes, and um, this is just an expansion of that. Yeah, that's certainly interesting. And that, that actually brings me to uh, a question that I had as far as, you know, we've really seen this progression and, and you know, formalizing microschools, which as you say, is something that's, uh, uh, something that's been going on already kind of holistically. So how far does this movement go? I mean, you know, how much more do we want to see in the realm of school choice, or are we kind of at a nice, position right now? I think basically the goal is for the money to follow the child and let the parents choose whatever is best for that child. Uh, it could be that one child is, is doing flourishing in public school, another child not. And so it may be that there's some special needs there that, the, that are not going to be addressed in the private school community or the public school community. So then they need to go with a tutor and specialize in helping that child with their needs. So there's all sorts of options. I think that's where we're headed. Delegate, what do you think? I think there's never enough options. <laughs> um, every child is different. Every child learns differently. Every child learns at a different pace. And I think we need to specialize every child's education. And that may mean that one child not only is a micro schooler, but maybe they're also a public schooler on top of that. Uh, maybe it's a combination of a charter school and a learning pod. Whatever works for that child should be what we are pushing because what we ultimately want for every child in West Virginia 
is for them to learn and succeed. So why should we hold them back by giving them only one option? I say we open up the whole world for them. That's, that's certainly wonderful. And, and, and I do think that if you speak to anyone involved in education at any level, at any, in any form of organization, they would agree that you know, this historic trend towards regimenting students hasn't worked. And, and we do need a certain amount of flexibility. But Senator, you just mentioned you know, the money should follow the student. And one of the biggest concerns that we've been hearing as the HOPE Scholarship has been implemented, as charter schools have been implemented, um, is you know, the exodus of money from our public school system. Uh, and, and public school systems really only work when you have that consolidation of funds. So what would you say to, to critics who are concerned about that? Delegate? I say they learn to work within their means and change what they're doing. Um, if the schools are too big because they're losing children to charters or micros or learning pods or homeschooling or private schools, then they need to make the schools smaller. And making the schools smaller, is it, classrooms at least, is exactly what teachers want. They want smaller classrooms so they can individualize the education for those children in the classrooms. So I think they start working within their means and adapting. That's what we're all doing right now. Senator, you mentioned to me uh, a little bit earlier that, that this shouldn't be an us and them situation. Is, do you think that this applies here? We're, we're all in this together as West Virginians, and I think it's important for us to lift up all of our children and not try to uh, divide them in one way or the other. I think we need to do uh, everything we can to help them. That's why I sponsored the, the public education, kindergarten through third grade bill that's, that's moving through the legislature, and that is comprehensive, $100 million that's going to go concentrated for K through three, and we need that desperately. That's a great thing. So uh, people should understand that we're not just all about the, the, the private schools. Uh, we care about what's going on in public schools too, that they excel and do well. And there's a word that maybe people should understand right now, and that is the idea of dual enrollment. Mm. You ask what the future holds, it's gonna be dual enrollment in, in college and high school to be able to, to have the, we've done the advanced placement classes and, and now we're moving in another direction. We're gonna tie everything in together. So that's very interesting to hear you say because I think that that kind of echoes a little bit of what we just heard you say, Delegate, in as much as a student could potentially be both homeschooled and attend sometimes public school. How, how would that work? I mean, because I think that... Um, well, it's already working. Okay. Um, homeschoolers are allowed to take classes at the public schools um, up to four classes at a time as long as it keeps them on a homeschool status. Um, if they go more than that, they become a public school status. So it's already working. Some, some students do it because that's what they need, want, um, and others don't. So it, it can all work out. We're doing it little bits at a time and we've already shown it can work. It's just a matter of if we can get everybody to cooperate together and get the money following the child so those options are out there. There was a recent decision also with private school students that they can be enrolled in the public schools and in the private school at the same time, even full-time enrolled in virtual public schools in the evening and in private school during the daytime. I don't know how that's gonna work, but, but the options are there if they wanna do that. That certainly sounds like more school than most students would be interested uh, in. That's attending. what I think. <laughs> um, but so 
Talk to me a little bit about um, socialization. That's something that, especially people who are not familiar with homeschooling in particular, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's one of the first concerns that, that jumps out at them. Well, you know, kids are isolated in their homes, and uh, I'm sure that, you know, micropods and things of that nature, and I, I'm Far sorry if I'm the using tree. the wrong term. No. Um, but yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, so it was actually my, one of my husband's biggest concerns when we began homeschooling, like I said, about 13 years ago. Um, and that thought left his mind within about a week's time. Um, and we actually, after a couple years, quit socializing so much so we could get more schoolwork done. Um, and I tell parents, my homeschool parents, because I run the largest Facebook support group for homeschoolers, I tell them all the time, if something's not offered in your community for your child that you want to see offered, I'm like, build it, they will come. And I've had parents across the whole state who have started implementing um, anything from field trips to classes, to classes at the local colleges, um, or doing learning pot or co-ops or just getting together for play dates or anything. Um, so no, and kids when they go to school are usually it's sit down, shut up, don't talk. And in the homeschool community, it's more, no, you need to work together. Um, if, you're, if, we're in a if they're in a classroom together, they're collaborating, they're talking, they're working. They're, they're talking with the adults that are teaching the class also. It's not, it's not that same dynamic that you have within a regular classroom. And our, our kids usually thrive with that. Senator, you had mentioned to me, and I'm sorry that I keep referring to the conversation that we had before the cameras were turned on. Maybe we should have turned them on earlier. Uh, but you mentioned to me that this also extends to uh, athletics and that the legislature has been working to codify that. Uh, yes, we set up a, a program where the Tim Tebow is what it was called and program and the idea that homeschoolers would be able to participate in SSAC sports if uh, they would be able to meet the qualifications and and all and so some parameters were set up they did find out that there were some different different things going on in different counties with 55 counties and so uh, we just passed a bill senate bill 601 today that would allow the ssac to promulgate rules so that we can respect the county positions and how that would work so we put it all together and with the the integration uh, in our school we have homeschoolers that come to our private school and they'll take a course or two, and we have a minimum that they can take, and, and many times they're involved. We have six basketball teams in our school and uh, six different basketball schedules. It's crazy, <laughs> but, but there are homeschoolers that would participate in that also. And so, we just passed in um, education. It just passed out, I believe, on Monday, my bill, which um, expanded the sports to Hope Scholarship because at the moment it's only for homeschool students, which is exemption C. And um, I did a bill to extend, extend that to Hope Scholarship recipients, which is exemption M in the code, and micro schools and learning pods, which are, is exemption N, because those two groups there could not play for the public school SSAC sports um, before. So hopefully we'll get that through the whole legislative process and even over on the Senate side. <laughs> so um, I am curious to know, you know, you used the phrase work within their means uh, a little while ago when we were talking about uh, money leaving public schools. But now, just now we've been talking about, you know, homeschoolers, Hope Scholarship recipients having the ability and the freedom to 
not only take advantage of, of, as you've laid out for us, you know, the benefits of that system, but also take advantage of the benefits of the public school system. So, I mean, how do, how do you square that? It kind of sounds to me like having your cake and eating it too. Well, on my end, I can say that the, even homeschool parents, we still pay our taxes. And those taxes, especially the county taxes for the excess levies, the school levies and everything, go straight to the school system. And we get nothing back for that. So in, in the aspect of the homeschoolers, we still pay taxes and those taxes and federal taxes that also go to the school system. So. And the, the Hope Scholarship is only one third of the school funding. So the public education still keeps two thirds and they have no costs involved in that. So when we're talking about $4,000 for a Hope Scholarship student, the, the public education system keeps about $8,000 and, and there's no outlay. So they, they are not hurting like it sounds like maybe they would be if they lost all of their funding. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm sitting here and, and barracking aggressively for public schools, but I believe it was in your uh, Senate Education Committee just last week or the week before that there was a big debate um, around the, the bill to require the education or the teaching of Holocaust and genocide, excuse me, that really boiled down to a discussion about um, I imposing requirements on parochial and uh, denominational schools. So. Um, again, I mean, I'm just curious, you know, the government uh, uh, is, is making those requirements of public schools, but not necessarily of, of homeschoolers nor of parochial schools. Um, you know, part of that just stand out, stands out to me as being a little uh, lopsided, for lack of a better term. What, what would you say to that? I think you go back to the state constitution. And <clears throat> the state constitution allows for a, a, a thorough and efficient free education for all West Virginia children. So that's where the state's responsibility is to make that available to our, to our children in West Virginia. But it doesn't cover other options that were actually in existence before the public education system even began. And so the idea is literacy. We do have standards, we have testing, things that go on that are accountability. So yes, we can, we can be able to document that. I had HEPC uh, a couple of years ago do a study. Uh, how did students rank when it came, when it came to college? If they came from a, a home school or a private school or the public school, what happened with in-state colleges with their, their ACT and SAT scores? And they were able to give me, private schools were on top, homeschoolers were next, and then public school was down below that. So it's not a matter of credibility, it's just a matter of access. Delegate, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think, uh, <laughs> I think uh, Senator pretty well covers most of it, yeah. yeah wonderful, so we're, we're getting close to the end of our time here together, and I am curious to know, I think we, we touched on this very briefly at the start of our conversation, but um, is there room for improvement in the school choice movement and in, in the school choice system? And if there is, you know, what, what could we be improving? There's always room for improvement. There's new options coming out all the time, new ideas. And as long as we continue to keep an, uh, you know, an open mind about those and look at them, and then as we find things that are incorrect in the law or a little off, then we go in and fix them and continue this movement, I think we'll... We'll be doing fine and our children will all excel because of it. 
Is there any legislation, I know that we've already touched upon this, but any legislation that you would like to see uh, maybe address some of those minor improvements perhaps? I think we're addressing many of them this year. Um, we've got several bills running in education to address some, um, and I guess there's several running over here too, so uh, I believe many of them hopefully will be corrected this year. Excellent. Senator, we've, we're down to the wire here, but do you, any thoughts? Um, with the K-3 bill, we're spending $100 million, and we were told, don't spend anything else. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, you know, you can only do so much at a time. Well, excellent. Um, again, a, a very interesting conversation here around school choice with uh, Delegate uh, Kathy uh, Crow. I can't read my Kathy handwriting. Kathy Krauss. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't That's read my okay. handwriting. With Delegate Kathy Krauss and uh, Roland Roberts, Senator Roland Roberts. I want to thank you so much, both of you, for being uh, on the legislature today, especially at the last minute. Uh, thank you so us. much again. Thank and, you. And uh, Bob, back to you. Thanks for that, Chris. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wbpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Markets. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.